Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Church, just worship his name right now. Father, we glorify you. We magnify you in this place. Lord, there's none like you, God. Do it again, Lord. Father, do it again right now, Father. Move in this place. Touch lives, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, God. Lord, we do pray, God, that you would move again and again and again. Lord, that you would heal, that you would deliver, that you would save, that you would set free again and again and again. Lord, you made a way where there seems to be no way. God, you are the God of more than enough, and we love you, Jesus. We praise you and we glorify your name. We lift your name, O Lord. Lift his name, church. He is worthy. He is the Christ. He is almighty God. He is uh, all that you ever need. He is all of that. You are a way maker, God. We glorify you. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We praise you today, God. Lord, we give you time. We give you right away, Holy Spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll get to that here in a minute. Um. I have to say this morning that I am extremely excited about the the message, this this message and next week's message. Um, And I I have to tell you why. Um, God dropped a verse of scripture into my heart a couple months ago, and it actually happened, it dawned on me actually this morning that this happened when when God put this into my heart. Uh, This happened while I was preaching here. I'm, I was in, in service and preaching and ministering and doing what I do and, and happened to, you know, just mention this particular verse that we're going to look at, um, happened to mention it in passing. It was one of those things that just kind of added a little bit of flavor to the s- sermon, and, but, but God knew what he was doing because it, 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 it lit like a fire inside of me. So much so that I have to say that, that I would wake up in the morning, and this does not happen to me. So I would wake up in the morning, and I would literally be, in my mind, I would be quoting this verse. I'd be quoting it, and I, you know, just portions of it, you know, the front part, the back part, the whole thing, you know, just various things, and it happened more than once, and so it really did get my attention, and so what I began to do is I knew immediately that God was speaking to me. God was was challenging me, speaking to me, and developing something. And so I begin to um, uh, really meditate on this verse, really begin to study, really begin to pray. One of the things that I've found over the years that, that is helpful when God drops a verse of Scripture into my life is that I create a prayer out of it. And so literally what I'll do is break it down, and I'll, 
I'll uh, phrase it out into a prayer and I add my personal, you know, if, 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 if there's a verse that has a name, I change the name to mine. You know, if he says something like you, I change, it's me, you know, and so I, I personalize it because I believe the word of God is for me. And I believe the word of God is for you. And I think we should take it personal. And it's a message to me. I know that God wrote the word. I know that he inspired men. I know all that stuff. And I know there are lots of references. But everything written in that word is a promise to me and to you. Can you say amen? And so I begin to pay attention to this. And, and it captivated my thinking. This verse captivated my thinking for several weeks, if not a couple months. And, and it has been something that has literally been on my heart. And so what I'm going to do today, and this is going to be a little bit different of a style for me. I, I, I'm, I will preach because it's part of me, but I, there's going to be a lot of teaching in this. And, and the thing is, what I want you to catch when I say that to you is because not only am I going to share with you what I believe God gave me in Revelation, I am going to share with you what I studied through, and this is a $50 word to talk about Bible study, but the exegesis of the, the verse. You know, so in other words, I took some time to really dig in, you know, and I think one of the things that I think that we really need to do uh, is we really do need to slow down a little bit, okay? I think what happens to a lot of Christians is we get busy, and, and you know, that's, that's not a sin, that's not wrong, that's not a bad thing. We just get busy, but the problem with getting busy is we tend to speed up everything, you know, and one of the things that you got to remember is some of the best things in life are done slowly, you know, I was, Kathy last night was looking at, we, we, we heard about a restaurant that we want to go to in Napa Valley. And this restaurant's called the French Laundry. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a strange name, but it's called the French Laundry. And uh, she was looking at it last night online. And, um, the, the, you know, it's the, the chef at this restaurant is one of the, you know, famous chefs. We've seen him on Iron Chef and different shows and stuff like that. And, and well, she was looking at it, she goes, well, the French Laundry, it's only 200, what, $65? $325 per person. That's it. That's, that's nothing. So it's going to take us a little while. And then for New Year's, it's $800 a person. And so I'm not really sure what all they give you there, but the, I know they, do, they have one dish that's like scallops and, and caviar and stuff like that. And I guarantee if they serve me scallops and caviar, I'm going to eat it. You know, for $325, I'm sucking the ice. I, I'm getting all that I can get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lick the plate. They're going to see something special because I'm getting everything that I can get for $325. Um, but we haven't gone. Obviously, it's... 700 miles away. It'll probably be a while, but we'll have to save up for that. But my point is, is that anything that's worthwhile takes some time. And you know, you can go, look at, we all today after church could go home and we could pop in a TV dinner into the microwave, right? You can have Salisbury steak, mashed potatoes, gravy, carrots and peas, and, and even a little bit of apple cobbler, but I guarantee you it won't be apple cobbler like my grandma made. And it won't be Salisbury steak like it's homemade. It's going to taste like a freezer. It only takes 30 seconds, but it's going to, you know, it's, you can eat and yes, it will sustain life and yes, it'll do all of that, but it's still a TV dinner, right? And that's the way a lot of Christians face, how many understand that the word of God is our necessary food? And the way we face scripture many times is like a TV dinner. 
We, we get behind in schedule and all that, and we don't mean to do that. We're not, we're not deliberately doing that. It's just that I don't got, man, I got stuff I got to do, dude. I got deadlines, and I got, you know, uh, commitments, and I, you know, I've got the schedule and all of this, and so we just rush. <clears throat> so for the last two months, I've taken the time to slow down. Basically, all of the studying that I've done in the last two months has been on this one verse of Scripture. And I'm going to tell you, it has rocked my world. It has rocked me. How many understand what getting, it's, it's, it's the good side of getting stoned. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's God rocked me in this verse of Scripture. Now, what this verse deals with is it deals with the subject of grace. And in my mind, it is the one verse in the Bible that is the absolute standard for the description of grace in the kingdom of God. It's an absolute. See, as Christians, one of the most important things that we need to fully understand and embrace is the grace of God. Can you say amen? But oftentimes, our understanding of grace is limited by either language or by misunderstanding. Sometimes we don't understand all that there is in it. How many know, and you don't have to answer this question, it's a rhetorical question, but just I, I pose it to make you think. How many know God is good? We all know that, don't we? God is good. There is never, and you can write this down and underline never, there is never a time when God's goodness is not at work in us. Like the song says this morning, he has been so, so good to me. And all of us have examples, and, and truthfully, all of us should write this down. We should write down the examples of the goodness of God that is at work in our life. We need to, we need to you know, we're very good at numbering the bad things. We need to number the good things. And church, you would be surprised at how much good really is happening. No doubt there's bad. I'm not going to deny the reality of, of bad days and difficulties, but the reality is there is so much good happening, and we all have examples of God's goodness at work in our lives. And whether we know it or not this morning, the grace of God, and this is, this is something you should take notes in, the grace of God is what empowers the goodness of God. Now, that's a deliberate sentence. I, I wrote that down and I said, it is the grace of God that empowers the goodness of God. And we need to pay attention to that. And the Bible bears this out. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 33, the Bible says, and with great grace, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them. So the power of God and grace are linked in this scripture. Power, great power was on them, and it was because of the great grace that was upon them. Acts chapter 14, verse 3 says, Therefore, they, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness, the Lord is bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So once again, grace is linked with this supernatural evidence. Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace and our justification are eternally linked. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace and salvation are inseparable. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, verse and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us, the grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So once again, grace shows up as a teacher. And there are many, many more examples of the work of God's grace in our lives, but time would prevent us from mentioning them all. Are you hearing me? The point is this morning that grace is far larger and far more powerful than we have ever understood. Are you hearing that? That is what the next two sermons are going to be about, is this idea of grace. We're going to talk about this. It's critical to our Christian living. So let's look at our text. In our text, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 through 11. He says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now, this verse of scripture, or I should say the verse of scripture I want you to pay attention to in this passage is verse number eight that says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, before we get to that verse and really begin to pull it apart and see what God's saying to us, I want to put this all in context. One of the things that I absolutely believe is that if you're going to do a good study in the Word of God, you have to keep things in context. You have to keep it in context because if you pull a scripture out of context, you create what's called a pretext. And if you create a pretext, you may communicate something that the Bible is not saying. So keeping this in context, I I want you to pay attention to what's being said here. See, the context of verse number eight, and that's the one we're going to look at, is giving. This all is being couched in this understanding of giving, specifically giving into the work of God as Paul describes the need. In verse 1, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter and look at verse 1 and 2, Paul expresses his joy at how willing and eager the Corinthians are to minister to another church by giving into the ministry. In fact, he tells them that he has been bragging about them everywhere, so much that other churches are beginning to follow their lead. He says what stirred them was their enthusiasm for giving. But he also challenges them to make sure that their giving was from a willing heart and not 
grudgingly. Are you hearing that? Now, this is where we pick up our text, because in verse 6, he says this, and it's important that we get this. Now, remember, this is a different style of, of preaching, so don't shut me off. Okay, we're going to take some time to learn something. Okay, so in verse 6, he says this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He begins this, this, this instruction to us. He's telling us, he goes, look at, at the heart of all of this is a thing called liberality. If you're wondering why sometimes you don't see a lot is because maybe you don't sow a lot. Amen. You get what you sow, you reap what you sow. And he says, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. See, but that flies into the face of modern Christianity, or I should say modern society, because we live in an entitlement society. We want as much as we can for as little cost. Amen. That's why when I said dinner was $325, we all gasped. You want a $325 dinner, then you got to pay $325. You want a 50-cent hamburger you'll get a 50 cent hamburger. It's been drugged through the back part of the McDonald's. So how do you know that? I used to work there. And if you don't think people don't drag hamburgers through the mess. Oh, no, no, don't go to McDonald's. That's another sermon, isn't it? But if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. And then he goes on and he says, now he goes, let each one of you, as he purposes in his heart, he says, this is a heart condition. He says, I don't want you to do this grudgingly or out of necessity, but I want you to be cheerful. I want, you to, I want your giving to come from the heart. I want you to be a bountiful giver from the heart. And he says, and then our verse, he goes, because God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound or have an abundance for every good work. And then in verse 10, he says, now may God or may he who supplies seed to the sower, don't you love that, is that God requires us to sow, but he gives us the seed. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? He gives us the seed, and he says, and I'll give bread for food and supply and, and, and supply and multiply. Now, here's the thing. God will multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. So in the midst of this giving, in the midst of this context of giving and grace, God says, I will take your seed which you sow bountifully, and now I'm going to put my super on your natural, and I'm going to increase not only the seed, but I'm going to increase its fruit. Are you hearing that? While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. In other words, he says, there's a purpose. He says, I want you to be liberal. I want you to have more than enough. I want you to be able to give it away so that it will generate thanksgiving and you and to the ones that you're blessing. Are you hearing that? This is such a powerful passage on giving, but that's not why I'm here. That's not what this sermon is about. But we had to go there. We had to set the context. Because when we set the context, we can begin to see a little bit deeper into the verse. This is not my focus. My focus today is not on giving. Although we should take this to heart. Can you say amen? My focus this morning is on grace. 
Now, this is where we're going to go. I want you to listen to me. See, most theologians will define grace as unmerited favor. But we must be careful not to interject a theological bias into the text. So what we first need to do is we first need to understand what the English word grace means outside of theology. Remember, I want to, I want to teach you something today. Language is important. Yeah. All of you have had examples of misunderstanding in your life because you missed some really important words. Husband and wife, marriages, have had knockdown dragouts because one word was missing out of a sentence. Like, hey honey, you don't look fat. She didn't hear, you don't. Hey honey, you fat. Changes the whole complexity, doesn't it? Completely out of context, not what I said. Message received. We have to be careful. Most theology, most theologians will define grace as unmerited favor, but that is not what it is. So grace by definition in the dictionary is elegance, beauty of form, manner, motion, or action. Or there's another, it's mercy, clemency, or pardon, and that's where they completely miss it. But the, the truth is that's what, that's what Americans or the English dictionary thinks grace is. The problem with these definitions is they are thin. They are limited and they are too basic. They do not completely convey the full emotion and spectrum of the word grace that comes from the Greek. See, because the Greek language is such a vastly different language from English, we need to examine what he's saying from the Greek perspective. What does it mean in Greek from the Greek word for grace? What does it mean? What is he saying? Now, you say, well, why is this so important? Why do I got to do this? Because if language is important for our understanding, and grace is really what I'm saved by. I'm saved, that we all agree, Ephesians chapter three, verse eight. We are saved by grace through faith. Does everybody agree with that? If that is the basis of my salvation, I'm saved by grace, then it's important to understand what he meant by that. Would you agree? And so that's why we take this time, because when you have full understanding of something, your action and your behavior and your, better yet, your reactions to what's going on around you change. Yes. Now you begin to see from a different perspective. Are you hearing me? Now there is no doubt that grace within its meaning in the Greek contains the concept of elegance and beauty and mercy and pardon and all of those things. But it's so much more than that. And this is what we're going to see. See, the grace of God in all reality is divine ability. Now, even that, even saying that, that's still a little thin. That's why we need this verse. But when we talk about divine ability, we are talking about the source of divine life. 
the source of divine power and the ability of God flowing and operating through us in order to give us the supernatural power and ability for ministry and sanctification. Now, I know that's a lot of words. He said, break that down for me, Pastor. What does that mean? Grace is the power of God that causes you to be right with him and then empowers you to do what he's called you to do. <laughs> Are you hearing this? Now, I'm going to show you this because there's many facets to this. See, the idea this morning of unmerited favor, mercy, compassion, acceptance, kindness, graciousness, and goodwill, they all express the avenues through which the divine ability, God's power, flow to us. So when you think about it, when you think about his mercy, his mercy is getting what I do not deserve. Listen, I, he, I, he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and when I have completely blown it, and there is no reason, no excuse, there's no justification, and I deserve consequence for my actions, his mercy comes, which flows through his grace. Are you hearing me? And vice versa, his grace flows through his mercy. It's the power of God that's working through an avenue. In verse 8 in our text, we begin to come to some understanding. And when we come to this understanding about grace, we begin to see that it is a level of grace that is much more intense, much more deliberate, and much more powerful. This is why we've got to pay attention. So, what I did is I took this and literally through the several weeks that I've been meditating and studying this, I've broke it down. So I begin with, and here's the verse, you can see it on the screen. It says, begins with, and God. So let's start right there. This is where, or this is who, grace begins with. The work of grace is God's work. It is not your work. If I show grace or have grace, it is only because God's given it to me. Grace in every way is a work of God. There is no other that can match his grace. No one can match his power, his authority, his goodness. It is God who is the author and the finisher, the Bible says in Hebrews, of our faith. And it's with faith that we engage disgrace. Amen. It's by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We engage it through faith. And as we trust in him, rely on him, cling to him, which is the biblical definition of, gra of faith, grace flows. Are you seeing that? See, now listen, if you're writing notes, write this. It's impossible to exaggerate the dimensions and detail of the grace of God. It is a work that flows through faith, and it begins with God. And this is where the verse opens up. God is the one who is adjective after adjective describing grace. That's why this verse is absolute. If you notice, he says things like all about five times, four or five times. He uses words like every. It's important that we understand that. It's his hope this morning that we dive into the extravagance of his grace. Amen. 
Listen to what I'm saying. God is the one that wrote this, not me. Okay, I'm not, look at, I know there's a lot to be said about, you know, the, the, the whole thing about the prosperity doctrine and all this back and forth and back, and I don't know about all that. I don't have to worry about that because that ain't my bag. But what I can pay attention to is I can pay attention to what he has written. He is calling upon a church to give into a need. And he's excited about their enthusiasm to give. But there was a problem. One of the problems were is that some of these people were very poor people. And I'm certain that as they felt challenged to give, they wondered, what about me? What about me? If I give to that need, what about my need? And what God is doing, what Paul is doing in this writing, he's saying, look, at good, giving is always good and meeting this need because... God's grace is going to flow to you, and he's going to cause you to be what? Enriched was the word that he used. I'm going to cause you to have more than enough so that you could be liberal. That's what he's saying, and he's communicating something on a level. So this begins, this is God's idea. Then he moves on, and he says, and God is able. God is able. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's ready. He's willing. And whenever I hear, I have to be honest because there's some honesty in this. I have to be a little vulnerable. Whenever I hear or read the statement, God is able, my usual response is, duh. I ask this question, and I'm going to ask it again in this service. Is there anyone here today that doubts God's ability? Raise your hand if you doubt God's ability. Anybody? We had one in last service. None of us would doubt God's ability. We know that he's supernatural. We know that he's more than enough. We know that there is nothing too difficult for him. We know that he can do anything. All you have to do is look up in a starry night and understand that God is able. All you have to do is look at your own human body. You could, you know, just the miracle. Every, every person I see in this room is a miracle of God. It's a, it is a demonstration. It is a testimony of God's ability. Can you say amen? So there is no doubt on his ability. And I know God's all powerful and I know he can do anything. But here's the question. Is he willing? That's the question. Is he willing? Now, I know, and I hear you, everybody, several people are saying yes, yes, yes. But when you are in the thick of it, and you're sick, and the symptoms are overwhelming, and you read the verse, God healed them all. <clears throat> Do you go to work justifying why you're still sick, and his power hasn't moved in you, or do you simply say, your word's true, don't care how I feel? Think about that for a moment. Is he willing? We know he's able. You know, as I was praying this verse of scripture, and as I was spending time with it, I was on this particular part. I was meditating on able, and God dropped a nugget of revelation into my life, and this is exactly what he said. He said this, I am never stingy with my ability. In fact, his ability, because, and I'm going to show you this, I'm going to, I'll prove this all scripturally. Because of the fact of this particular scripture and the way it is set up in its wording, when he says our God is able, 
he is able, he is able, implies he's willing to do it. If he's able to do it, church, he's willing to do it. Can you say amen? In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Look at God is looking for people to bless. God gets up in the morning. Should he take a nap? I don't know if he does. But he gets up in the morning. He begins his day by looking for somebody to bless. I think you found him right here. How many know what I'm talking about? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing, underline the word all, who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This is the intent, this is the purpose, God's ability being willing to move. Jesus is the expression of God's will. Wow, that's powerful. That just came right now. That was hot off the press, folks. That's, whole, that's Holy Spirit right there. All you out there in the internet land, write that down. Jesus is the expression of God's will. When Jesus was on the planet, he healed everybody that he encountered. Now, we know that there were people that didn't get healed, but they were, they were people that didn't encounter Christ. They didn't come to him, or they weren't in the same vicinity. The reality is, if you come to him, you will not be disappointed. God is able, and he is willing. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. He fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Then he, Jesus, put his hands out, touched him, and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left. Amen. Now here's the thing. Once again, in an effort to be vulnerable, I have to be honest, I struggle. It's great preaching. Everybody loves this preaching. I mean, this, this, this is great preaching, but, you know, I don't have that happening in my life every day. I don't have that happening in decades. Are you with me? I'll just be honest with you. I struggle. I struggle with negative. I, I have a hard time. Sometimes, sometimes I'm far more aware of the negative than I am the positive. Sometimes I have to wrestle that negative thing down, and I hog time, and just about the time that I get about four feet away, he's right back on my neck. I struggle. But I wonder sometimes, I think to myself, dear God, why isn't this happening? We have such clear, I mean, clear scripture. I mean, it doesn't take, you don't have to define the words. It's right there. Why is it happening more? Why? Could it be, I would suggest, could it be that we do spend more time over here because it's just easier. See, the reason I like the negative is because I know what I get. I don't have to, I don't have to think about it. I, I can, but see, it's just like today. We had a really good service in the 830 service, really good. The power of God was here, was good. God ministered. I go back into my office, and you know what? I'm sitting there in my office, and I'm thinking... That, you know, I got to quit thinking. How many, <laughs> shut that brain off, man. I need to take that, dis, take my head off. I don't know what, I need to do something. But it's the stinking thinking, and I get thinking, 
well, what about this? What about that? What about this? So I made a decision. At that moment, I went, no. I said, I take authority over you, you demon of torment. You ain't going to torment me. I'm done. I don't care. If, look, I'm going to say, I said this when I was in Needles, I'll say this. If I got to pioneer this church from scratch, that's what I'll do. If it's me and Kathy sitting in this great big gigantic building, then bless God, we're going to have revival. And if you want to come along, let's go. Can you say amen? Why? Because God is a good God, and I'm determined to walk in his goodness. And he said that I could. Now I'm preaching. The other stuff was teaching. I'm going to get back to teaching. Before we can have a steadfast faith, listen, before you can have a steadfast faith for God's grace in our lives, we must be convinced of his willingness to give it. Then he goes on, he says, our God is able to make. This word is an interesting word because it means to exceed a fixed number of measurement. It means to be at hand in abundance, to be great, to superabound in quality and quantity, to overflow, to excel, to exceed, to be in excess, to increase. God is able to exceed any number you fix, to be at hand in abundance, to be great, to superabound in quality and quantity, to overflow, excel, exceed, ex- and excess, and to increase. How many know God wants you to increase? Yes. He wants me to increase. And we understand, whether we understand it or not, God is a God of more than enough. Even in the context of our overarching text, Paul's assurances when they gave, God would increase their seed. Not only would he increase the seed in the ground, he would increase the fruit it produced. In other words, these were super seeds. God's super comes on our natural, and we have more than enough. If they had the confidence to sow bountifully, God would reap bountifully. That's the thing we got to understand. See, I know there's a lot of controversy about giving. I get it, the whole idea of tithe and offering and should we give in the church? Should there be an offering? Should there be a box in the back? You know, is the system corrupt? Everybody, stewardship, all that stuff. I get it. But see, church, we made it way too complicated. See, when you give, when you give, you give to God. You know, you're not giving to me. You're, not, you're really not even giving to this church. The moment you, you give something, the moment you release it, It's now in the hands of God. Jesus is standing at the treasury. There's a little woman there that gave two pennies. It was all she had in her life. And he commends her. And church, they were giving into a corrupt system. They were giving into a system that would, would disrespect her, that would minimize her, and that would abuse her. But she gave it anyway. And Jesus said, this is going to be a testimony of yours for all eternity. We're going to be talking about it in heaven, he said. Somewhere along the line, we've got to understand that when we give, we're giving to God. And if we give bountifully, he says, I'm going to pour it back out. I'm going to give back to you. Then he goes on. He goes, our God is able to make all grace. This is what we've got to pay attention to here is this word all is the Greek word pass, P-A-S. And there's, there's also an extension of it of P-A-S-A-N. 
I don't know how to pronounce them, but that, that's, that's it. But this means, this, this all, when it's attached to grace, it means every facet of grace, every detail, every aspect as needed. See, when Joseph was in prison, he needed mental and emotional strength. He didn't need a mansion on the hilltop. He needed something internal in him to be able to rise up and become the leader of the prison. When David was fighting Goliath, he needed courage. When Joshua was, was uh, uh, taking the children of Israel into the promised land, he needed wisdom. How many remember a woman by the name of Deborah? She was a prophetess and a great warrior. And she went to war and she needed warriors. And it was the grace of God that provided God's grace, God's, God's abundant grace, his exceeding, overwhelming grace is his response to our need. Can you say amen? amen. Ephesians, listen, you got to catch this, these words. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, similar statement. Now to him who is able, same word, able to do exceedingly abundantly, same word, above all, same word, that we can think or ask according to the power that works in us. Look at church, we don't need to pray for the power, the power's already at work. Amen. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? The power that makes grace flow is already at work in you. It's already there. It's already there. It's already there. It's not my word, this is, these are not my words. These are God's words. And that power can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can think or ask. In Philippians chapter 4, 19, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He shall supply all, every facet. Once again, see, we took the verse, verse 8, we, we, we looked at it in the context of giving, and we know there's a wonderful application of that. But the reason that we can take this verse out and apply it to other applications is because of the word all. Yes. All grace. All grace. Every facet of grace. Divine ability to overcome, to change, to live, to succeed, to increase, to become. We are saved, forgiven from sin, healed in our body, delivered from torment by grace. Amen. Are you hearing me? In the end, grace is God exerting holy influence in every situation we allow. Never forget, our God is a God of power. His kingdom is a kingdom of power. And power is always, if you're going to take notes, write this one down. That power is always expressed through grace. Let me see if I could capture, I'm bringing this to a, to a close. So if Jason wanted to come, he could. Let me try to capture your thinking here. Imagine, let's just, let's just dream a little bit today. Imagine if Bill Gates gave you unlimited access to the sum total of all his wealth to use at your discretion I just looked it up yesterday, currently this month. He's worth $101.8 billion. There's one other guy richer than him. It's Jeff Bezos. Amazon. You're welcome, Jeff. I buy a lot from Amazon. But imagine if we, if Bill Gates came to us and said, look at, 
I am giving you power of attorney. You can use my resources at your discretion for whatever you want, no limit. Not only that, but I'm gonna give you right to use my name. That means my influence and my credibility and all that that represents. It would seem to us that there would be nothing we couldn't do. In a worldly sense, it would seem that the sky is the limit. And while it would be intense, and it would take a long time to exhaust those vast resources, in reality, they could be exhausted because they are limited. But when we say all grace, there is no limit. Divine ability in whatever form is needed never runs out. Jesus said, you have right. I let you use my name in the name of Jesus. And then he says, fear not, little flock, for it is my good pleasure. It's my will to give you the kingdom. Then he goes on and he says, it's gonna, God's able to make all grace abound towards you. It's the same word as make, that super abundant overflow of God's power. Listen, it's intentionally and deliberately racing at you to overtake you. See, this is why you gotta catch the meaning. See, Greek, Greek wording has a lot more color and flavor in it. And when you catch this, when you start studying this out and you go, wait a second, holy cow. You know, have you ever had a freight train barreling down at you? That's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I've come that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's what Jesus came to do. He says, so, he goes, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you. Why is that important? Because it's personal. Now, I know he's speaking to a congregation there. But the word of God was written for us, to us. It wasn't just written to us as a church or, or as a body or, or a group of people. It's his love letter to you. He says, that you, that you, 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 that you would have this. It's personal. That you always having all sufficiency. Here's those alls again. Sufficiency. It's interesting. I didn't talk about it in the first service, but the, the word sufficiency actually comes from a place in Greek philosophers in the first century were called Stoics. You say, what is Stoicism? Stoicism is this. It's when you have a belief that you need nothing else that you are completely complete. And Paul was borrowing this idea from the Greek philosophers is saying that when all grace is flowing to you, you are sufficient. You are in reality complete. Are you hearing that? And you're having all sufficiency in all things. Every facet of those things. That's why we could pull this out of the context of giving and say, well, does it work in my marriage? Yes. Does it work in my home? Yes. Does it work on my job? Yes. Wherever it needs to work, it works. 
in all things that you may have an abundance. Here that word is, is ever increasing, ever growing, more than enough, super abundant provision. What for? For every good work. Church, this is this this rocked me, um, and I and I'll, I like I said, my, my I endeavor to be transparent and 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 real with you. While I love this and I quote it and I pray it and I do all that, I, I don't know that I've realized all of it. I know I haven't. I, I've realized a few things. I'm, I I've got a working knowledge of this, but I'm intent on living this. I'm intent on getting into this and living. And, and quite honestly, that's what next week is about. And I want to encourage you that next week that you would come, bring a friend, because what we're going to talk about is the application of this. You know, it's great and wonderful to, to talk about all this, but how do we live this? How do we, how, do we, how do we walk out daily when we're on our job or at Safeway or at home? Or, or, or more importantly, when, when all hell's breaking loose whatever you define as hell breaking loose, when that's happening, how do you engage in that verse? How do you do that? That's what we're going to talk about next week. I want you to bring a friend because this will help people. See, see, church, I, I, I want to say this. I know I'm taking your time, but everybody says, don't worry about it, so I won't. Um, <clears throat> so, Look at I, my heart. This is my heart, church. I don't want to, I don't want to just do church. I, I don't want to come here and, you know, have a few songs and a quaint sermon. I don't. I can get that. I can get that online. I can get really good stuff. I mean, I can get some high-end stuff online. I got a 65-inch screen TV, and I got a surround sound system. I'll, it'll be like I'm there. I don't want to play church. I want to meet with God. I want to walk in his presence. I want to be stirred. I want to know you and I want to know him. And I want to walk with you and I want to work with you and I want to link arms. And, and you know what? Every now and then you're going to rub me wrong and every now and then I'm going to rub you wrong. And I might get mad at you and you might get mad at me, but I'm not going to give up on you and I don't want you to give up on me. And I want to go forward and I want to build this church and every empty chair will be filled in the name of Jesus. And we'll go to a third service. I know you said we used to have a third service. We'll have another one and it'll be great. And we'll have a fourth service and then maybe we'll move out of this building and, and we'll see God do great things. In Kingman, of course, in Kingman. It's got the right name. King's men. Oh, church, God is good, isn't he? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for this time, and I pray, I pray, God, that every person in this room today would be blessed. Lord, that we would go from this place, God, with grace and vision. I pray, Father, that we'd be stirred, stirred, that this would not just be another sermon, but God, this would be, um, God, a revelation that would change our lives. Father, we want to experience grace, hope, and transformation. Father, I thank you that five years ago you gave me that vision that this would be about grace, hope, and transformation. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.